Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side LC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talea Dindi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our special guest is Liz Bendit. Liz is a four-time cancer survivor, and she is currently president and CEO of The Bomb Box, a self-care and gifting site for breast cancer patients. In addition to teaching undergraduate business marketing courses at the University of Kansas, Liz also serves on the Education First Shawnee Mission Board of Directors, and she volunteers with National Charity League. She lives in Kansas City suburbs with her husband and two children. Liz, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, Liz. So four-time cancer survivor, tell us more about that. Yeah, I'm really good at getting cancer. Yeah. <laughs> or as my husband likes to say, I'm a cancer magnet. It's oh, a, yeah. It's a gift. <laughs> it's been a very weird wild ride. If you go back, my very first cancer was back in 2009. And I date, I think as many mothers might, I date my cancers by the age of my children. The time mm-hmm. my daughter was three and my son was one. And we were at the swimming pool And you know, when babies decide that they're just pooped out in that minute and they just have a little nap and it was just the greatest thing. Cause I knew that this was my last baby. It was really hot outside, but I had this 20 pounds of baby lying on me and I was in a contorted position, keeping him all framed so he wouldn't fall off because we were all sweaty and hot. And I only say that because A, I was in a bathing suit and B, I was just in a weird position. And so my mom was sitting next to me and looked at my upper thigh and said, you've got a mole that I don't like to look at. I need to have that checked out. And I was like, 
dude, I'm a full-time working mom. I do not have time for this. No, yes. I don't need this in my life. I don't need to go to a dermatologist. And I blew her off. And oh, wow. Oh yeah. And then my mom pestered me over the course of the next two or three weeks. You need to get to the dermatologist. You need to go to the point where like she was texting me phone numbers that were like clickable. My mom was very aggressive. And so finally, just to get her to just back off, I finally made an appointment with her stupid dermatologist and I went and lo and behold, the dermatologist looked at it, didn't like it, scraped off that little piece of skin had it biopsied and a couple of days later called to say, okay, I need you to listen to me. What you have is melanoma skin cancer. It's a very fast moving cancer and I'm going to make an appointment with you. And it's too large for us to remove in office. You're going to have to actually go to a surgeon. I'm going to make a referral. That surgeon's office is going to call you and you need to go to that appointment. I don't care what's on your calendar. It was mm. very aggressive with me. And it was bananas to go from not only do you have cancer to you need to go to the surgeon's office, have your referral, book your appointment. So that was a Tuesday and I had my surgery on a Friday. Wow. It was crazy. So if you, when you talk to other cancer patients and other, other cancer experiences, nothing moved that fast ever. Uh, And that was my expectation. It was crazy. And there are so many parts of that story that were bananas. And one was it took two days for the biopsy to come back as to whether or not the cancer had spread. And if the melanoma had spread, then I would have less than a year to live. And if it didn't spread, no biggie, wear more sunscreen. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> choices, well, sunscreen or die, right? Like that's, yeah. that's, it was a lot. And came back, it hadn't spread. We got, think, 10 points to mom for nagging the crap out of mm-hmm. me to the dermatologist. And I bought a lot of big floppy sun hats and yeah. swim shirts and invested in SPF sunwear and called it a day and moved on. However, 11 months later, I had just a regular mammogram. They didn't like the look of it, had a biopsy. And funnily enough, at that time, that biopsy came back as nothing. But in that whole process, the breast surgeon came back and was doing the palpitations. When you have a breast exam, Mm -hmm. you're topless and their hands just start moving all up your torso. Yes. And they're feeling every little part of your boobs. And then her hand started moving and traveling up my neck. And I was like, what's going on? Like the boobs, (laughs) the tatas are lower. What's going on? Like what's going on here with my neck? And she saw a lump in my neck and wanted me to have that biopsy. And so at that time, it turned out that the breast biopsy was nothing. It was just whatever they call it, weird cells. I'm sure that Mm -hmm. there's a very technical term for non-cancerous. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, yeah, like non-cancerous, but atypical something or other. But it turned out that the neck biopsy was thyroid cancer. And that one, I was like, when I got that news, I said, okay, it's Wednesday. Do I start my schedule? I schedule my surgery for Friday, right? Like this idea that everything should move so quickly. And they're like, no, this isn't a fast moving cancer. And we need you to do these 8 billion labs beforehand. And you need to evaluate this and that. And so we'll get you in sometime in the next six to eight weeks. The idea that I would have to live with cancer for two months was just anathema to me. But in retrospect, it was a gift, right? I had the time to plan. It was, I could plan with work. I got projects squared away. I knew the weekend that I would be out for the count. Friends and family had the meal train going. It was great. You could organize your life when everything had to drop because I had melanoma. That was hugely disruptive, right? Especially when you have babies at home and childcare and all that stuff. You learn through all these processes. And so the thyroid cancer, I had the surgery and I fell into this teeny, teeny, tiny portion of patients that have this bananas side effect, meaning I became what's called hypoparathyroid. It happens to 2% of patients. And what it means is when they take your thyroid out, 
the parathyroid glands are next to the thyroid gland and they either get damaged or nicked or they just stop working as a result of the surgery. And they didn't know that until they released me and I went home and my lips and hands were really numb. Like they just said, oh, that's just, you're low on calcium. It just takes some time for the parathyroid glands to wake up. Just have a couple of Tums that they're high in calcium. It'll be fine. So I took Tums, take eight more Tums. I'd had about 12 or 15 Tums and like the numbness was traveling up my arms and it just felt really weird. So we called the doctor, explained it. And she said, get yourself to the ER right now. Mm-hmm. And they had put me on an IV drip of calcium. And it turns out that even to this day, my body just cannot process calcium the way a normal human being can. And I was very sick. I was in the hospital for over two weeks while they tried to figure out a drug therapy that would let me not have a calcium drip. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty inconvenient. You don't want to walk it around is. with a calcium drip all day. And they did eventually, but it took a long time. I was very sick and I was very tired and I really struggled to get my life back to normal because of all the side effects of being hypoparathyroid. The most frustrating to me was that I was tired all the time. I just could not shake this feeling of exhaustion. And when I was complaining to my endocrinologist about it, he said to me, you're a working mom, working moms are always tired. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, screw you, dude. That's not... <laughs> an answer. That's That's just not an answer. And so at the time in the back of my mind, I thought you're fired. I didn't say it out loud. And in some ways, maybe I wish I had that conversation. I wasn't that brave, but I did eventually find a couple of things. So one was I found a better endocrinologist in my community. He had a one-year waiting list. So I got on the waiting list, but concurrently, I also got connected through asking for referrals from friends and family with this I don't know if she was an MD, but she ran this like health spa and she ran labs on me because she could call for them. Her labs showed that I was really vitamin deficient in lots of ways. And she felt like that was probably what was causing all of my exhaustion. She said, this is really reminiscent of someone like that celiac. And so why don't you try to drop gluten? And I dropped gluten and I felt like I woke up. And I thought, good. And she, at the end of the day, like they ran the gluten test. And as far as we know, I'm not celiac. But what was really interesting is that a potential solve for or potential way to resolve my ability to absorb the calcium more efficiently was to in fact drop gluten because gluten nutritionally can sometimes make it hard to digest other nutrients, right? And so it was just a kind of a big learning. You've got to sometimes take advantage of the combination of medical doctors, like people that prescribe things, and then people that maybe just think differently, more the holistic side of things. I think that there's a role for both. I'm not one of those people that would ever suggest that you treat your cancer with a coffee colonic or anything not medically sound. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think that there was a lot of value in for me in seeing somebody who just was outside the core medical establishment and looked at things differently. And that was a game changer for me. Now, I cannot state enough how privileged I am to be able to do that. It was incredibly expensive. She did not take health insurance. I paid for Mm -hmm. it all in cash. It was a lot of money, but I got healthy, right? And as I got healthy and I learned to advocate for myself, which I think a lot of cancer patients, especially if it's your first cancer, how do you know how to do that if you've never practiced it before? Exactly. What advice do you have for others? My advice would be to ask more questions. I think that there is a perspective among cancer patients, especially when it's your first cancer, is the first thing 
I think you talk to, I'm sure, plenty of cancer patients. Mm-hmm. And you think is, oh my gosh, get it out. Yeah. I have a tumor, get it out, get it out. That's what's flashing. And you can't think beyond that. And I do think that there's a lot of value in understanding taking a hot sec to look at your treatment plan and really decide what is right for you versus the doctor's straight up standard point of view, which might be fine, might be great. You might Mm -hmm. align with them, but you might not. The next cancer was another one where I learned that lesson, where at least I applied it in 2015. So at this point, my kids are in grade school. Now me and my dermatologist are best friends. I go every six months and you strip naked and they look at every inch of your skin and it's super uncomfortable and super necessary, right? Like you just get over it. And I had a little like nudge on the inside of my nose and she didn't like the look of that. So she biopsied it and it was basal cell carcinoma. So here's the good news. It's basal cell. It's slow moving, caught early before it becomes a melanoma. But the catch was it was on my nose. Talia can't even see really because of the lighting in this video. And certainly podcast listeners can't see because this is an audio format, but I'm very freckled. Um, And a normal person's skin, or if you have a more smooth skin, you can sometimes take a little section of skin from the neck and relocate it to the nose to cover the missing skin. Like when you take off the cancer, but when you're freckled, like I am, you can't do that because the freckle pattern won't match and it'll look like I have a patch on my nose and that would look super weird. So then it becomes a question of how do you remove the skin and close it up in a way that doesn't make you disfigured. So then I was bounced over to plastic surgery. And so the first plastic surgeon I met with told me about the surgery that he wanted to do, that his standard surgery, which was where you cut a line from the inside of the eye and you draw it all the way down your smile line down to your chin. And then you create basically a C-shaped scar on your face which then allows them to relocate the skin to cover up the patch on the nose. And I said, okay, so I'm going to be disfigured and have a scar the rest of my life. And he said, yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is there an alternative? And he's, this is what I do. When should oh. I book your appointment? And I was like, I'm just, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I'll call you. Come so ask went, questions. Right. And so yeah. I went and I asked more questions. And so I then of course started asking around town for the best plastic surgeon in my area. And I was referred to this particular surgeon who was quote unquote, great with faces. Fun fact to know for the future, when we need a little tux, a little mm-hmm. lift in the chin, he had a totally different point of view. He said, no, there's no reason to do that procedure. It's really outdated. And there's a new one that we really like, but it's miserable. It's a two-part surgery. And what we do is we cut a line in along the shadow of your nose and we stretch the skin And then we leave it. Then you walk around for 10 days with a patch sewn to your face, waiting for the skin to loosen up. So you wait like a long time. And then you come back and they've loosened the skin just enough to close it up. And then they close it up using the same line in the face so that the scar is right here on the inside of your nose and it's barely even visible. Yes, it would have been much faster from a surgical standpoint and more efficient to do the crappy one that left me the cease. Mm-hmm. shaped scar on my face, but here's this great alternative, right? Yes. It's 10 days of misery where you can't have a shower and I've got this weird patch sewn on my face and it totally hurt. And it was a miserable surgical experience, but I signed up for it. And I knew in those 10 days, that was the payoff for not being disfigured in the future. Mm-hmm. It was totally worth it. Like I chose it. I understood those trade-offs and that to me, that perspective made living through that 
misery so much easier because I was informed. I made the choice and I knew that this was going to be the right long-term solution. And lo and behold, a year later, you really can't see it, especially when I use a little foundation. Truly, you can't see it. So that, again, you learn and you learn, right? So then that fast forward to 2017 and I had a regular mammogram, didn't like the look of it. And I rolled my eyes and like, whatever, you guys just don't like my boobs, (laughs) anti-Liz boobs. And I really thought it would be nothing. And yet it was breast cancer. But that's the beauty of having done this then three times is saying, okay, this is going to suck, but let's take a minute and look at what the choices are, right? Mm -hmm. I need a mastectomy. Can I get away with a lumpectomy? Do I need to do lymph node biopsy? Understanding what my choices were and understanding that I had agency in those decisions was huge, huge. I just see so many women, especially I think older women, this is my interpretation that could be wrong, that automatically assume that whatever surgeon diagnoses their surgery, A, is a surgeon that they must work with, which is not true. And B, is the surgeon that you must follow their specific advice. What I've learned through all of this process is that medicine is as much art as science, that there are choices and there's no guarantee in any of them. Even the surgery I had for my thyroid, the thyroidectomy was a logical choice. I would still do it today. However, no one could have predicted that I would fall into this category of 2% of patients. Like it's just really rare. You never know. So you have to be well-informed and understand what the puts and takes are of every decision. I think that taking a little bit more control, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort. And again, like I repeat enough how privileged I am to be able to afford both the time and energy to do that. But to the extent that someone can, I just want to put out there, there are choices. Everything is not so black and white. Yeah. Thank you, Liz, for walking us through all of your experiences. That is quite a bit. Unfortunately, you had to go through those things, but you learned a lot along the way. One thing that I really like is your message that you have choices and Mm you made a connection to something that I always share with people and that's gather their information, analyze that information, but then along the way, ask what kind of quality of life do you want? You made the decision that, hey, I don't want to have this huge scar. What are my other options? So you went out and you sought out those other options, but you knew that once the doctor explained to you the procedure and what the end result would be, you said, hey, I really don't want that. That's the process. And you have that right to gather information and say, no, okay, I don't think this is the best thing for me and go elsewhere. You said the other thing is the question to ask, and I think this one is so important, is to ask, what are my odds of recurrence with and without the fill in the blank and really be very intentional with those numbers. So the best example I can give is when women go through breast cancer, one of the standards of care now is to go on estrogen suppression treatment. So when you have breast cancer, the current line of thinking is that estrogen feeds cancer in the breast and that if you just have no estrogen in your body or you reduce the amount of estrogen in your body, there's less estrogen to cancer cells and grow them in your boobs. Very logical assumption. But the other downside is estrogen suppression hormone therapy, especially if you have not gone through menopause, sucks. (laughs) It forces your body into a super fast menopause and all of the super downsides that come with that. And so the question becomes, okay, what are my odds of recurrence with and without estrogen therapy? So what they said to me, and again, every human being is different based on your particular cancer. So by no means should anyone say, my numbers are yours, right? But for me, 
the odds of recurrence after having my surgery and my radiation therapy, my odds of recurrence are about 15%. And they said, if you do the estrogen suppression therapy, it cuts it down 50%. Sounds mm-hmm. like a lot. But I said, okay, but you're talking about the difference of 15 to seven and a half percent odds of recurrence. And so that to me is a very different conversation. 50% is obvious. Obviously, yeah. if I can drop my odds of recurrence 50% from a hundred percent to 50%, you do it. That's obvious, mm-hmm. right? There's no question. 15 to seven. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's a different mm-hmm. conversation. And that's a quality of life conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece where I don't, think enough women, especially in the breast cancer world, share that perspective. They just focus on the 50% reduction number. 50% of what? From two to one, that's also a 50% reduction. So how meaningful is that reduction in reality? And I guess to me, it's to continue to ask questions until you get to that true understanding. That's correct. Yes. You cannot ask too many questions. There is no wrong question. There's no dumb questions. That's how you get to what is best for you. Yes. Let's switch gears a little bit here, Liz. You have obviously been through a lot. How was your mental health impacted? Oh, (laughs) how was my mental health impacted? I think that I'm a doer. I am a keep busy, take charge, be active person. I am an over... I'm an oversigner upper. I serve on three different charity boards, run a small business and teach three classes at KU. I like being busy probably too much. So I think that over the course of those treatments, especially when my kids were little and I was my daughter's Girl Scout troop leader and all this other stuff, I just kept busy. I did not really spend time processing all of that fear. I think that it crept up on me over time. So I think that I might've been a lot better off had I spent more time kind of acknowledging, processing, and thinking about the trauma as opposed Mm -hmm. to just pushing past it. Keeping busy was my savior at the time and you could have, would have, should have, right? But it worked for me at the time, but at some point I did have to really process that trauma. While you were processing, Liz, and those things started to come up later, did you talk with a therapist or counselor about those things? What helped you to work through those? I for sure recommend it. I think that's a good thing. I think that I processed it honestly by launching the bomb box. I wanted to do something to make it better for others. And this was to me how to feel productive. Like maybe there was meaning behind all of those choices. I also have a lot of built-in supports in my life. I have an incredible group of girlfriends. We go running every weekend. So it's a combo. It's a twofer. You get like girlfriend time and exercise. And we have a text chain called the squishes. (laughs) So I think that they've been incredible about letting me unload and knowing when to cluck and say, gosh, that sucks. And when to step in and say, okay, here's some advice. I think having those people in your life is unbelievable. I have an incredible marriage. I have so unbelievably lucky that my husband has just been my number one support system and fan that I can see the challenge that these kinds of treatments and the pressure they put on a marriage. And I've 
in some ways, like one of the gifts of cancer for me was that my marriage was stronger as a result of it. It didn't weaken it. It didn't damage it. And I can see how easily it could. Case for some people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we were very lucky in that. And I also had incredible parents. We live in the same city. They stepped in so many ways. I can't even, I can't even list it. Everything from childcare to meals, to shoulder to cry on, to carpools, to just everything. They have been my rock. So I have so much support that I didn't feel the need to go necessarily to another third party, but I don't think that's a bad idea. You know what I mean? I didn't go to therapy, but I feel absolutely that I could have. I just had other support systems. That's what I want to put out there is I used them. I did lean on my support systems and I did allow people to help. And I think that has made all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no right or wrong answer. It's different for everyone. I just like to know and for the audience to to know about different ways that people have got the support that they've needed. And it's great that you had all of that support in your personal life. That makes a huge difference. I'm guilty even. I have a little survivor's guilt on that and how much support I had and hope I don't take it for granted. I am grateful for it. That's right. There's one other thing I want to ask you. What should a person say or do instead of asking, how can I help? Oh, this is the worst question. When someone says, how can I help? It just sounds like such an empty offer. And I do think 90% of the time when someone says, how can I help? They genuinely want to help. They do. They really do mean well. But what you might need is not something you're comfortable asking for. And that I think is the really hard part. I even wrote a blog post about this. Other things to say other than how can I help? So if you take, and again, to your friend or family member and what their lifestyle is. So if you're talking to a friend with kids in elementary school versus a retiree, they might just have different things that they need. If you were talking to my neighbor, she might really need someone to weed her yard because she's too tired to do it. Whereas I needed someone to drive my kids carpool. My suggestion is always to say, I want to help. Here are three things that I've thought of I can do for you. Which can I do them all? Would these be helpful? You tell me, or you just put it out there. I'm going to the grocery store again. So knowing what that help is that they need. So I'm like, Hey, my grocery day is Saturday. I'm going to grab groceries for my family. Give me your list. I'm going to grab yours too. So you don't even really make it a yes, no, you just put it on. You put (laughs) it out there. Yes. And and you make a very specific offer as Mm -hmm. opposed to how can I help? I think that to me is so much more helpful. It's the specific. Mm -hmm. Don't say, how can I help? Say, here's three things I'd like to do to help or three things Mm -hmm. that I plan to do to help. I'm going to bring you four dinners this month. You tell me the dates. So just again, being very intentional, Mm -hmm. so much more helpful than the empty, how can I help? Basically saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do to help you instead of asking how I can help you. Yeah, Yeah. I like that, Liz. Thank you. What are some useful gifts for people impacted by cancer, (laughs) including caregivers? The bomb box. So the bomb box is my answer also to how can I help, especially for friends and family who aren't nearby, right? If you can't come water the yard or drive carpool or bake a chicken, then the bomb box to me is so much better. I have received, especially when I was going through breast cancer, a lot of pink merchandise. I have many pink t-shirts and coffee mugs and tote bags. And (laughs) in the moment, I just, it's just so well-meaning, but it's not helpful. Flowers, Mm -hmm. by the way, FYI, anyone going through radiation or chemo, a lot of times that affects your senses. Mm -hmm. Now made me nauseous. I had to throw them out or give them to my mom. It just, 
Uh, it's just, and meals for us were really challenging because of my food allergies and I didn't really want to eat. And I don't know what I really needed, what, especially when I was going through radiation were things like lotions that would be soothing. And I needed ice packs that wouldn't leak through my clothes because I was still going to work. And I needed something to keep the pressure of the seatbelt off of my tender torso when I was driving. Like I needed functional items. Mm -hmm. I was just constantly looking for all this functional stuff and spending gob tons of money ordering it off Amazon because there wasn't a website that featured all yeah. these like care packages or self-care packages for people going through very specific treatments like chemotherapy and radiation and surgery. And so that really is where the th idea for the bomb box came from. It's we created mm -hmm. these curated care packages filled with truly useful items that people want to need. And in fact, I know that they want to need them because we did research. So it's not right. just me. I wasn't sure. I thought maybe I was the crazy one that <laughs> thought that these tote bags were annoying. And it turns out that like, I am not the only one. And yeah. when we asked people, and by the way, the fun fact, we sent out this survey at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was at home in spring of 2020. And the survey went viral because people were bored yeah. <laughs> and answering a survey was something to do. And so we collected almost 600 responses. So it really was right. a statistically valid survey, just putting it out there. The survey went down two paths. So we asked cancer patients, if you previously had cancer, what are some things rate on a scale of one to five, you know, these various items that you would like to receive or buy for yourself. And we asked people that had not had cancer, but that had purchased gifts for cancer patients, what did you buy? And there was just this huge disconnect. What people want are things that were all functional. They wanted fuzzy blankets and they wanted ice packs and they wanted lip balm and they wanted lotion. They wanted aromatherapy, which I had never used. And I thought, oh, what a fun idea. Yeah. And what they, things that got zero out of 10, the absolute lowest ratings whatsoever, kicking cancer tote bags, kicking cancer coffee mugs, worry stones, inspirational books of poetry, right? So things that are, I would categorize as inspirational were not wanted. And that's wow. really what you see a lot of gifts are. Then what people are buying is mostly flowers and is Again, it's the standard get well gift, but when you're going yes. through cancer treatments in particular, it's just unique, right? It's very Absolutely. unique. So we put together the bomb box so that it's something that people could send their friends and family and truly be helpful. It's been amazing. It's hey. growing like crazy. Why do you call it the bomb box, Liz? Oh, because the domain was available. <laughs> okay. That's fair. We had lots of ideas on the name. <laughs> I called it bomb box. I liked the alliteration. I'm a marketer by trade. Yeah. So I like the alliteration. I like the BB, but also I like the idea that right now we might've started with breast cancer, but it really does lend itself to any kind of cancer. And so as we grow, we'll add more and more. It gives us the freedom to grow to other kinds of cancer care packages that might, we might have more unique items for people going through colon cancer or going through prostate cancer, things that are more specific have specific needs. So it gives us, I think, a platform to grow. And I like the sound of it. Yeah, I like <laughs> that too. It kind soothing. of rolls off. Yeah. Yeah. As, give me an example of what's in one of the boxes. Is it a surprise? Do people know what they're ordering up front? Every box, every item in every box is listed. For example, our radiation essentials boxes are filled. Again, there's different sizes, but you can get even a small one has just the basic stuff you need, right? So things like aluminum free deodorant. See, fun fact, when you go through radiation treatment, you can't use deodorant mm -hmm. with aluminum in it. I had to give up my beloved 
powder fresh secret because it had aluminum in it. Yes. I spent over $200 buying rando product deodorant from Whole Foods until I could find one that yes. actually in fact prevented sweat. So we have a really fabulous lavender scented aluminum-free deodorant. And the other thing that I looked at when I was going through radiation is when you get burned, right? That's the standard. Mm -hmm. One of the number one problems is you have burns. And my burns were very bad. They had to stop treatment for a couple of days and let them heal. Mm -hmm. I was just so burned. So I did a lot of research on what were ingredients and items that would actually be soothing because things like aloe weren't getting it done for me. That just okay. was not healing my skin. That's upper level skin, not underneath the skin. The burn is underneath. And mm -hmm. I found that a lot of really interesting scholarly articles, because this is my process to research, talked about the value of calendula oil as being very soothing to burn victims. Calendula oil this is one of those things where pain management is a very tricky science, right? Because what I might rate on a scale of one to 10 on a pain threshold might be different from you, which is why this is really hard to pinpoint. But it seemed like there's a lot of directional advice about the use of calendula oil. I have a friend who has a skincare business and she created a product called the Botanical Burn Bomb. And she nice. and it has the highest concentration of calendula oil, as far as we know, on the market. And it is phenomenal. It is so good. And she even, we even tested it with some radiation patients and they raved about it. It really is a tremendous product. So we have our burn bomb and we have these really fabulous ice packs that they're for lunches, but they're a small size so they can fit in your clothes and they don't sweat. The little things you don't think about that when you have an ice pack in your clothes that you don't want them to sweat through your clothes, even if you have it wrapped mm -hmm. around a towel or something, it still eventually will leak and it's wet. Mm -hmm. It's off. Mm -hmm. We have these sweat-free ice packs and burn bomb and this calendula infused burn bomb. Oh, and then we have this calendula soap. Again, things irritating that you don't really think about that you're going to need when you're going through radiation. Those are the kinds of items that you might find, like really thoughtful, very carefully selected and curated items that you wouldn't think to put together yourself. We've done all of the legwork for you. Wonderful. So helpful. Liz, where can people learn more about the bomb box and also your cancer story? The bombbox.com. That's T-H-E-B-A-L-M-B-O-X.com. Find us on all the socials, but start with the website. That's where the best stuff is. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Liz, before we end today, I'd like to ask my guests two questions. The first one is, what do people often misunderstand about you? What do people misunderstand about you? Oh, I'm going to have to think about that for a hot <laughs> sec. I think that, I don't know. What do people misunderstand? I feel like I'm pretty transparent. I don't have an easy answer for that one. That's yeah. okay. The second one is, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I would live on a beach. I grew up in California. I now I live in a landlocked state and I love my community, but it's missing a beach anywhere with a beautiful, warm, sandy beach. I love the ocean. Yes. It's so soothing and relaxing. I yes. cannot agree more. <laughs> Yes. Liz, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us today, sharing your wisdom and your experience, and most importantly, your cancer story, your cancer journey to help educate others, inspire and encourage others. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I love sharing it all. Thank you, Liz. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. 
That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.